Previously on Zero Brightness, we began our discussion of the cult classic Deadly Premonition by breaking down the finer points of the gameplay and world. This time, we're diving all the way into the story and running through every single plot point, or at least as many as we can remember, Zach. Obviously, there are going to be spoilers, but we hope you'll enjoy going on this journey along with us. As always, this episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you, and you can go to patreon.com slash zerobrightness to find out more and help support the show. Also, Zero Brightness is a game club, and you can play the games along with us. Listen to the end of the episode to hear us run down what's coming up. And now, we continue. Deadly Premonition. So, I think this is probably a good place to talk about the story, because it really is the star of the show. It's basically the glue that holds everything together. It's a glue that holds all the hot, flaming wreckage together. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This game is like a dumpster fire, but the dumpster has like a cute smiley face spray painted onto it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, as we were discussing earlier, I mean, the story of this game is essentially Swery attempting to rewrite Twin Peaks as something that's more gritty, more modern, and more linear. I think that's, like, the big takeaway for me, is that it's still bizarre. It's still completely batshit. (laughs) But it's all meant to be completed within the scope of a single work of art. And it's all meant to be more connected. Like, in Twin Peaks, Cooper shows up and there's these illusions that he's been following this case. But they don't really ever get into that or talk about it. Whereas in this game, I mean, York shows up. He has been following the case, and it's very intimately tied to him. You right. Know? So in the first scene, York shows the viewer a pocket full of seeds. He's got like a, a bag full of red seeds. And so he insin- it, that insinuates that he's been working on this red seed case for a while. Right. And he says, these babies are making me come out to the sticks again. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> So he gets in the town and he swerves to avoid hitting a mysterious figure in a red raincoat. Um, <laughs> he flips his car and basically from there you go into the game's first dungeon. And so right. you're immediately introduced to the fact that periodically throughout the game you're going to be in these dark fog and vine filled creepy areas that are also filled with zombies that walk backwards and sadly moan certain phrases like i don't want to (laughs) die i don't want to (laughs) die you're gonna hear that 10 million times yeah i kind of love it yeah they're actually i like the design of the quote-unquote zombies in this game i guess if you haven't played the game they're not really a zombie i don't know what the fuck they are it makes no sense at all a ghoul they like bend over backwards and they they try to stick their hand in your mouth it's so weird i i don't know and you know even that kind of has a twin peaks vibe to it like contorting of the body in strange ways and 
the sort of sad, distorted voice. Very, very Twin Peaks. Um, very Yeah, lynch. and then so like areas you can't go to are blocked off by these red vines with red leaves on them. Mm-hmm. Um, which sort of ties into the story, but it's really just a mechanic to get you to stop going places you shouldn't be able to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after you get out of there, you walk up to a bridge and everything's normal and it's morning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as we said earlier, you meet George, the police chief and Emily, the other cop in town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And that's basically the end of day one. Now, at the beginning and end of the sequence of events, he does have a strange vision of this weird area that the game later refers to as the Red Room. Right. It's like a circle of trees with a clearing in the middle. And there's like furniture from like a living room. And in this vision, there's a pair of twins, and they sort of cryptically speak riddles to him, um, very similar to the man from another place in Twin Peaks. Right. And the other thing is uh, he also sees, later he sees a vision of himself as a child in the same area. Right. And one thing about this, we might talk about this more later, this is probably the weakest Twin Peaks reference, I think, in the game because they don't really ever get into it in the way that Twin Peaks, like, gets into the metaphysics. There's a little bit at the end of the game, but I don't want to get into that yet. Yeah, but I feel like even after that, I was like, the only way you could understand this is if you've watched Twin Peaks and you're, like, assuming it's the same. So in Twin Peaks, they have the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, you see a lot of the Black Lodge and you never really see the White Lodge. It's only referred to. Mm-hmm. In this game, it's like people just start kind of talking about it, but not actually talking about it. They just start saying the phrase Red Room and White Room. <laughs> and you're just mm. like, what? Um, <laughs> anyway, so in day two, he wakes up in his hotel And you're introduced to the first of his many bizarre investigation techniques, which is just have a cup of coffee. Right. Um, Well, I think we we should mention Polly, the owner (laughs) of the hotel, which is this ancient old lady permanently hunched over um, who can't hear very well. So York just yells at her all the time, sort of, Uh which is... So much like David Lich's character in Twin Peaks. Yeah. When he plays Cooper's boss with a hearing problem. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like yelling at this woman just trying to get basic info about town. And she makes him a cup of coffee. And uh, this recurring theme starts of him being able to see his fortune in the coffee. Right. So in this scene, he sees FK in the coffee. The coffee. Uh, and I have to give props to like, did you see that Zach? (laughs) Yeah. These (laughs) scenes, like his voice acting is so good. And also just the writing is really good. Cause there's just like strange phrases and things like that jump out at you, which is so much like twin peaks. Like I'm the kind of person that I really like playing with language and thinking about language. And so like, Uh I can remember so many weird quotes from twin peaks just because they're written 
in a certain way yeah. and delivered in a meter that's really memorable. Like, there there's a, a fish, fish in, in the percolator, percolator. you know? <laughs> and this game has stuff like that. And FK in the coffee is like one of those where it's like, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. Great stuff. So after that, you go to the police office, you meet Thomas, and then you have to find a set of, well, you're trying to look for one key, but you end up finding <laughs> every key relating to squirrels. Yeah, all, all, for some reason, all the keys have different squirrel breeds on them. Yeah. Breeds, subspecies. Yeah, but you're looking for a very specific one. And since you can't tell the difference, you have to keep asking Thomas over and over which one is the right key. Yeah. Which, you know, speaking of, you know, like verbal isms, his responses to those are essentially just ASMR. <laughs> we should we should drop one of those in here. That's the right oh, one. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you learn a lot about squirrels. And uh if you're like me, you actually find all of them and the one you need is the last one you find. Yes. So, yep, a me southern too. flying squirrel. <laughs> Same. Thank you so uh, much. so after that you get to there's some more slice of life stuff and then you go to the hospital where you see uh this game's version of the famous autopsy scene in the pilot of Twin Peaks. Yes. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, there's a little mini game-ish stuff. It's very light where you have to like just kind of like look over the body and kind of like focus on a thing or whatever. Right. Um, but it's interesting enough. Uh, he says some like really obvious FBI-ish things, you know. And the uh, Usha, the, the doctor slash coroner, doesn't seem very knowledgeable in what he's doing, which makes it kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty good scene. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, at the hospital, um, you meet Harry, uh, who is this yeah. the mysterious man in the wheelchair whose assistant speaks in verse. Uh, <laughs> which Yeah, I think it's Michael, right? Yeah, God, I yeah. love that character. Just the way, once again, the way he talks, like, I can hear it in my head, just that Mr. Mr. Francis York Morgan. Like, yeah. Oh, man. He he announces, uh, he, he, he starts talking to everyone like that. So he'll say, like, Miss Olivia Mitchell or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I, I always thought it was really funny that uh, when they introduce Harry, they have title cards for everyone. When they introduce Harry, they introduce him as Mysterious Capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the title cards are great. It, like, pauses on a person. Uh, and with then, a sound effect. Yeah, with a sound effect. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, so after that, um, you basically get to go to your first real dungeon after the intro one, which mm-hmm. is uh, at the Lumber Mill. And it's the site of where Anna was murdered. Anna is, you know, the beloved Laura Palmer. Yeah, it's this game's Laura Palmer, the beloved prom queen who was uh, murdered. She was found by these two twins who had previously appeared as a vision to you, but now they're actually in real life. And they say that she's a goddess and a fairy of the forest. Um, But. Yeah, you, once you go through that dungeon, you get to where Anna was killed. It basically kicks off the, the real story of the game. Um, and also, this is where York learns the legend of the raincoat killer. 
<laughs> right. Uh, so this is a weird thing in this game, and like I mentioned before, it plays with your perception of what is real, and a big one is whether or not this guy in a red robe with an axe that you keep seeing is real, uh, or right. an invention of York, but the game starts suggesting that this town has this legend of a killer in a red raincoat. No one ever sees him but York. And York only sees him in the Dark World sections. Right. There's some plot insinuation later, but yes, that is correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Um, this is also a good place to point out that this is day two in the game. Yet, at this point, you've probably heard almost all the music in the game. <laughs> uh, so the game does not have a lot of music. It only has a handful of tracks. And yet... Each one is an all-time classic motherfucking banger. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I would. I love all of the music in this game except for some of the driving songs. Yeah, so some of those driving songs are just absolutely insufferable. I love the generic one, the one you get in the cop car, the kind of like crappy Do you? casino God jazz. Bless you. <laughs> But, like, I hate the butt rock one that plays in the Corvette, which sucks because it's the best car by far. I wish it just had, like, the whistle song everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. if there was an option for that, like, somebody mod that in. Yeah. So the game actually has two different kind of, like, soft folk tracks. One of them is the whistle song, which is definitely now playing as we're talking about it. And it's probably already played throughout some point in this 12 episode. times yeah <laughs> it's incredible life is beautiful <laughs> yeah but the other one is i think what might be the theme of the game it plays at the title screen yeah and it has a similarly earworm melody but it's sung in la la la's by a male vocalist over uh -huh. some sort of like lilting acoustic guitar and that song plays a lot when they're introducing characters or when sort of like a plot point is happening Mm -hmm. I love that song too. That's such a yeah. good song. It's good stuff. Yeah. It has like a distinctly sort of like 60s Japanese folk rock feel. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Which is like happy end. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's just like kind of a weird subgenre that I guess we're both familiar with. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the other music in the game is just like their version of the kind of like right mysterious i was gonna say that a lot of the songs are kind of like built around the angelo Badalamente style yeah yeah that is you know it just permeates twin peaks constantly yeah so, you know there's there's even sort of a clone of the famous laura palmer theme that kind of like swells and crescendos and then turns dark it's so close it's uncomfortably close but they're actually pretty sparing with that one. A lot of the the sort of free jazz, freaky noir jazz stuff that really sounds like something out of Firewalk with me or Twin Peaks season one, they spam that shit. Like there's one track <laughs> that they just play all the fucking time that yeah. it's cool. Like it's good music, but it's kind of funny that it's like, yeah, dude, we get it. It's Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Um, I love it though. I mean, there's only like, I think some of the more action y tracks that play during fights or during boss fights, or whatever, are not great. But 
everything yeah. else I love. The spooky ambient stuff is pretty cool if it is a little forgettable. Um, but yeah, it's just those several of those main hook songs are like undeniable. Uh, yeah, the that main song "Life Is Beautiful" sounds a, a crazy, crazily similar to the Super Mario World song. Oh yeah, it's called like Athletic World or something like that. Yeah, um, so similar. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny that they use that song all the time, but it never gets old. Never gets old. Never gets old. It's great. Um, it's so good. All right, I just wanted to have a brief diversion about how much I love the music in this game. <laughs> um, so after that, uh, in the next day, you sort of get your town hall meeting once again, straight out of Twin Peaks. Straight out of Twin Peaks. Uh, this is an interesting day because there's not a lot of investigating going on, but it's all world building and character building. Right. So, yeah, like you said, you get everybody in town together at Town Hall, at, which gives you the opportunity to speak to pretty much all the characters in the game in one go. So you get you get the feel of everybody, like how they feel about like the FBI or the cops, see if they're like helpful or not to the investigation. You get to meet like a couple of people that are super suspicious, like Quint and his dad. Um you just get to meet like quirky characters, like the graveyard keeper for the first time. Right. Yeah. Uh, the assholes, like the, uh, the guy that runs the gas station. Yeah. You can meet the pot lady for the first time. So, um, while there's not a lot of like gameplay going on, it's just like a ton of world building. It, it reminds me of one of those like friendship days in one of the Falcom RPGs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. And I think, you know, once again, it's one of the things that makes this game so special that it's willing yeah. to just take a whole bunch of gameplay time and devote it only to world building and character building. When you're done with that, you go like get dinner with the guys and then you're free to do whatever you want. You can go play darts at the bar and like do all the darts mini games. It's it's such a cool way to structure a day in this game. Um, and it really puts you into the story in a way that makes it super effective. It also, yeah. I think makes it a game that you really need to play because it's, it's like, if you just watch all the cutscenes, you don't really get the experience. The flow of the game is very strange and disjointed because you're driving and then you're, you know, you're playing darts and then you're, you might be driving, but it's a story part, so you can't get out of the car. And then you're, like, stuck for two hours doing a dungeon where you're not free to do whatever. But then you've got a couple hours in the middle of the night where you can do whatever you want, but you don't know what stores are open. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a very scatterbrained game design that somehow works. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because, once again, it goes back to the whole life sim thing where it's like they're trying to embed you into this story and they're trying yeah. to make you live in this town and get to know these people, which is also what works about the Twin Peaks TV show, that there's so much that's just Cooper hanging out and getting to know people and whatever that when story events start happening, you're more invested in them because you're like, oh, well, I've actually watched these people grow and watch these relationships develop. And I've been 
in there. You know what I mean? Totally. It's why the original cut of the pilot that just ends is like really shitty. Cause like <laughs> you just get introduced to all the characters and then it ends. It's like, yeah, what? Like it's, you know, you need at least eight, you know, probably, well, 10 hours. I think the original story of the show kind of unfolds over like 10 hours and it's like, yeah, right. You need that much time to have this sort of development happen and to actually get involved with the characters emotionally. So after that, basically the game starts throwing characters who are potential suspects at you like mad and it just right. starts trying to get you to question like who actually killed Anna, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, after you have dinner with everybody, you turn in for the night at your hotel and the next morning you wake up and you notice that somebody's kind of like pacing at your hotel door and you open it and you meet Kaysen. Right. Uh, this big boisterous Dr. Robotnik looking dude carrying around a sapling in a pot. Right. And he's like <laughs> a super weird character. Like he's really friendly, but he's also super weird and kind of suspicious. And he's like a happy good old boy. Yeah. But his initials are FK, which we saw in the coffee. So we learn a little bit more about the art gallery in town, which is run by Diane. She's mm -hmm. a rich lady who does whatever she wants and sleeps with whoever she wants. Uh, right. Wh which York takes care to points out makes her unpopular with the other women in town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she is also uh, one of the bigger interests in the case because she wears stiletto heels all the time. And previously we found a stiletto heel at the site of the murder. Well, not the site of the murder, but where they found the body. Right. And also, I guess it's a good time to mention that this is where the game's like weird misogyny kind of starts to kick in. <laughs> like, I mean, okay. So this is a game where the character's first line is women. They're all crazy. Uh, so like you maybe already had some inkling to this, but Diane is like kind of a totem for some, kind of weird stuff about women and it's just gonna mm -hmm. get weirder but i i just feel like i have to point that out right and it's it's kind of unavoidable when talking about this game yeah or twin peaks which we'll get to later but <laughs> it's sort of a whole it's a whole thing um so anyway uh our hero goes to the art gallery while he's there he bumps into olivia from the diner mm -hmm. who's the wife of nick um, she's being really shady. <laughs> yeah. We know that Nick hangs out with Diane and they're quote unquote friends. So it's kind of easy and to they, part. They quote unquote talk about art. together. Yeah. So it's sort of easy to parse out why his wife might be like uneasy with the situation, but there's, it's just another character, another element in the whodunit of like, Oh, you're sort of, you're kind of shady, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we actually meet Diane, who immediately <laughs> offers to sleep with York. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'll sleep with whoever I want. I'll even sleep with you if you like. <laughs> Which is we like... We should just cut in her saying that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I sleep with anyone I wish. Anyone I prefer to sleep with. I could sleep with you if you like. 
And it's actually kind of baller because like it sort of feels like a weird put down to him where it's like, <laughs> I would even sleep with you, I guess. <laughs> um, he says, thank you, but I don't think it would be appropriate. Right. And he's right. Yeah. So she kind of highly inappropriate in a police investigation. Right. So she reiterates her alibi slash story that she was at the bar drinking with Nick um, during the last murder. However, as York is leaving, he does see Kaysen in the gallery. Um, Mm -hmm. And the window of the gallery. Yep. Through the window, he kind of catches a glimpse of Kaysen. And so maybe things aren't as they seem. Yeah. Fun side note. This is where uh, my game glitched out and I got a corrupted save. Oh, shit. R.I.P. Yeah. That sucks. So <laughs> this scene is memorable for me. Yeah. That's like where the game really starts to get cooking, too. So, yeah, that's a so, big old bummer. That's when I switched out over to that random dude on the Internet save file. Yeah. Thanks, random dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're a big help. I'll throw his username in here or something on the Steam forums. <laughs> uh, right. So the next scene uh, is a bit famous, as you've put in our <laughs> notes, James. Uh, York and Emily decide to go get lunch at the diner. Mm-hmm. And while there, they see Harry, the mysterious capitalist, <laughs> and his assistant picking up Harry's lunch. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, And so York refers to it as a sinner's sandwich, i.e. something that you would eat to atone for past sins. Although that is a supposition because immediately after uh, Harry's assistant tells York that it's actually delicious and he should try it. Now, Mm -hmm. the reason York supposed that was that the sandwich is turkey, strawberry jam and cereal. (laughs) They never reveal what kind of cereal, though. No, but in my head, I was picturing Captain Crunch for some reason. Really? Okay. Because I was thinking either like cornflakes or something bonkers like Lucky Charms. Ah, ah, sure. Yeah, Yeah. like something like, well, Captain Crunch is bonkers, dude. It's like so sweet. Have you eaten it as an adult? No, but I love like Fruity Pebbles. Like throw some Fruity Pebbles on that center sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Fruity Pebbles would be another one that would work. But um, (laughs) anyway, York tries it and he loves it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's like some um like Tim and Eric tier responses to the to York loving the sinner sandwich so much. Right. Uh exactly. And it's all really frightening and like <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah, there's also like so there's something this game does repeatedly, which is in cutscenes, it does this direction thing of having like normal music and then having the music cut out and then this weird kind of like jaunty right. Seinfeld music coming in during the sort of like punchline <laughs> of the yes. scene. And this scene yeah. is the one that's most memorable for me for having the Seinfeld music just cut in and just feeling like what? Why is that happening? so weird so weird like it's almost indescribable yeah i mean i'll probably put that music in here under this but i mean absolutely it's one of those things where it's like you just have to play the game or go watch all the cutscenes just to see what we're talking about like man if you're not gonna play this game it is kind of worth it to go just like watch all the cutscenes on youtube and listen to us talk about it because you kind of get the experience it's so weird so while they're at the diner, you get some more character building and you find a lot of up, out about uh, York's kind of teenage years. 
mm-hmm. you find out he was a hardcore punk rocker. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And that's like... It gives him some street cred for me. Yeah, and it's a throwaway line in this scene, but then later in the car, talking to yeah. Zach, he reveals a little bit more of his taste and about how they, they went to New York to see the Ramones and how they love, like, Sham 69 and... Just like all that kind of, and fear, I think they mentioned fear, yeah. all that kind of early New York punk rock stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a good piece of character building because it kind of explains a little bit about how he's so batshit. <laughs> True. So this whole day kind of revolves around Nick, Diane, and um, Olivia. And mm-hmm. so after that, they speak to Olivia and she kind of reveals a little bit more about Nick and Diane's relationship and that she actually followed them the night that Anna was murdered, which is the first murder in this case. Well, first she says, I can tell you more, come back at night. So then they go back there at night and Olivia tells them a bunch of alarming shit. And so they're like, okay, we have to go talk to Diane right now because apparently she lost track of them during the time of the murder. So while you're questioning, Olivia comes down on the radio that you need to get to Becky's house right now. Mm -hmm. And Uh, Becky was uh, Anna's best friend. Yes. Anna's best friend. uh, The Donna in in the Donna Hayward. Yeah. The Donna Hayward of this game. And uh, her boyfriend, Quint, had said that there's an emergency and mm-hmm. so York heads over there, drives over there, of course. Um, <laughs> a whole lot of driving in this game. This is one of those driving parts where you can't get out of your car. Yeah, for sure. And I hated that. And it's raining. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. So you go over there and this whole scene is kind of weird. Like you show up and everyone's acting really weird and Quint is crying and Thomas won't go in. And it's just like really strange. Yeah. Um, but so you go in, uh, alone, of course, alone, of course. And yeah, Becky's house is an other world dungeon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you fight your way through. I hope you shaved. Yeah. Hopefully you shaved and you're clean and fresh <laughs> to find, uh, Becky in a very, very weird position. Yeah. Like in her underwear, like crucified, like on like wire over the bathtub right but she's still alive barely yeah yeah and so they're trying to cut her down and george kind of rushes in and haphazardly starts cutting these it kind of looks like piano wire or something Mm -hmm. and uh yeah she basically gets like crucified the piano it's, it's a really weird scene because she's like all this like red fabric shit goes around her neck and kills her. Yeah. And I was like, that wouldn't, what really? <laughs> it like, doesn't, you yeah. couldn't use some of that wire. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but essentially George cuts the wire and inadvertently kills her. It's very like seven or something. <laughs> yeah. Every game we talk about references seven in some way. And this is this game seven <laughs> reference. Also, interestingly enough, this scene was the one that was in the Rainy Woods trailer several years before the game came out. Ah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, so this is sort of a weird one because I think that 
the initial murder in the game, it's very Twin Peaks where it's like the town's sweetheart, Anna. And the more you talk to everyone, it's like everybody loved Anna. Anna was the best, right? Mm -hmm. That's very Twin Peaks. But after that, the murders that happen can sometimes feel a little strange or like, you know, like if you spent time talking to these characters and like doing side quests and stuff, it can be very impactful where it's like, Oh wow. Like that character is just gone. But if you didn't, it can seem almost a little bit out of nowhere. Like sure. If you compare Becky to Donna from twin peaks, I mean, Donna is immediately a focus of the show and we're given like a window into her world. Like even in the pilot, you meet her sister, you see her house, you meet her parents, like you get this whole slice of her life. And so if they had killed Donna in the second episode, you would be like, oh my God, what the hell? You know, but (laughs) they don't. Whereas in this one, I think Becky can sometimes feel like it's like a little bit weird where it's like, well, that was very gruesome and bizarre the way she died, but I don't know if I even knew this character, you know? Yeah, there was very little character development. There's a couple side quests around here, but it's really just like backstory with her and Quint. So also, so at this point, if you haven't done the Becky side quests, you don't get to finish those. Even even though it doesn't impact the ending or anything, you're you're still not able to like get those clues. Right. Which is sort of a super bummer, but I mean it's once again, it's another device to make every playthrough different. So maybe in your first playthrough, you don't even really have any interaction with Becky. Becky dies. And it's like, oh, that's weird. But in another playthrough, yeah. you've, you've done the side quest. Maybe you're more attached to Becky. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it actually kind of hits you. Um, the other thing is that the deaths in this game are just really gruesome and weird. And they're all kind of like the women like she she died in like her bra and panties like strung up in the bathroom so there's like this like like perverse sexual part of their deaths too right yeah which once again is something that's from twin peaks that in this game they just turn up to 11 and they're like yeah okay this person is like a creepy sex criminal so the next day you know after you you get your breakfast shave take a shower yeah you head over to milk barn to uh question the husband and wife team that own the place right because that's where becky works the owner of the milk barn he's like this rockabilly (laughs) dude and super cool (laughs) oh god i hate him (laughs) oh dude thanks for coming bye brah yeah, Rockabilly is just very triggering for me. I don't like Rockabilly. Um, <laughs> We're playing the Rockabilly song from Deadly Premonition right now. Oh, yeah, totally. My favorite thing about him, too, is that you can do a side quest for him and get his guitar, which is like a really powerful melee weapon. It's a Gretsch. It's a Gretsch, but they had to misspell it for like... It's a Griotch. Yeah, it's like the Griotch or something. It's misspelled in like the most <laughs> hilariously awkward way you could. But yeah, it's just so they don't get sued. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I used to really want a Gretsch until I knew a bunch of rockabilly bands and they rooted it for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's Jesus and Mary Chain type shit, right? It's like, no. Nah, man. <laughs> it's not cool. You know, the the Drake approve and Drake dismiss meme? Yeah. The one in my head right now is Drake dismiss rockabilly, but Drake approve satanic doo-wop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I wouldn't even approve Satanic Rockabilly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Jury's out. Jury's out. <laughs> it's just like a skinhead cosplay or something, you know? Yeah, that's sort of what it boils down to. Okay, so like, here's the thing, is that I used to be in a band that willingly called ourselves goth, which we like quickly realized was a mistake, because mm. everybody wanted you to like be really goth, even if you were just like... <laughs> no, I just want to write cool songs about like fucked up shit and like I like the 60s or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh yeah, I met a lot of like shitty rockabilly bands and at least a few of them ended up being like fucking Nazis and I was like Ugh. <laughs> And it was just like it was just upsetting, you know. I mean, it's just like I don't trust anybody that wears like a sleeveless t-shirt, you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't anymore. I used to a lot. Mm. I mean, I used to... God, I used to be really weird with the whole clothes thing. (laughs) I don't know. I'm, like, such a dad now. I wear, like... I I literally wear, like, loose-fitting pants and, like, Reeboks that everyone asks, are those orthopedic? And it's like... (laughs) I think people think it's a bit, but it's like... Oh, man, I don't don't know. (laughs) I mean, as long as your feet are comfy. Dude, they're comfy as heck all that matters where okay yeah so deadly premonition uh york goes on a questioning spree he's trying to figure out right he's like what's going on he questions the milk barn people uh yeah so the wife of milk barn their kids are the the twins that found anna so she says that there's some sort of secret between the twins and Anna. So he goes to question the twins mm-hmm. and their grandpa. No, the twins and Kaysen, because Kaysen hangs out with the twins too, apparently. Yeah. Their grandpa when, and Kaysen at different times will both take them out into the woods to like check out the woods. Which isn't weird at all. It's wholesome, yeah. Yeah, and like so like the rockabilly dad mentions <laughs> that uh uh Kaysen takes the kids when he wants some some alone time with with the mother the missus as he says the missus some alone yeah. time with the missus yeah while snapping and yeah. like <laughs> he constantly snaps i guess maybe like i'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he seems more like a early 2000s kind of pop punk skate punk rockapilly guy like his favorite band was the living end and not like a nazi or something you know he just seems like a pretty chill dude yeah. in general i yeah. saw the living end they were chill they're from australia come on it's good stuff god i'm so old and i've lived such a dissolute life that's what this is all making me realize (laughs) australia seems too warm for goth like that's like a lot of running makeup and stuff (laughs) hey i never well okay i only wore makeup a couple times when i was goth (laughs) (laughs) um anyway so york goes and he finds the twins uh and after some cajoling, they tell him that they did get a box and a locket um, from, Anna from Anna that they yeah. gave to Diane, which you know that Carol now has because you heard them arguing about it the first time you went to go question Diane the day before. So many little detail things. And so many characters. (laughs) And honestly, like, if you're confused hearing us talk about it, it's even confusing in the game. Because as we briefly mentioned earlier, the only character models that look good are, like, the main, main, main characters. And Yeah, like, essentially just Emily and York. 
Yeah, and like Kaysen. <laughs> Kaysen's looks like really detailed and good. True, yeah. But, but everybody else kind of looks like shitty and weird, and everyone looks the same. So, like, right. okay, so Diane is the owner. And of I the, think it's, the game is purposefully trying to like throw you off with like too much, too much stuff, you know? Right, exactly. But so like Diane is the owner of the art gallery. Uh, Carol is Thomas's sister. Who and owns the bar. Who owns the bar that Thomas also works at. And yeah. Anna is the girl who died. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so after that, we're kind of back on the Nick and Diane tip. They decide to, like, stake them out right. and see what happens. I think the Carol-Diane connection sort of leads York back to looking at Diane. Uh, yeah, and th- so this is another one of those driving scenes that you can't skip or get out. Yeah. And you actually have to tail his car. It's really bad. It takes uh, forever. It's so bad. Yeah, you can't go too close. You can't lose them. Woof. Uh, anyway, <laughs> having oh god, the fact that I've done some of this stuff three times just really like weirds me out. Because um, some of these <laughs> gameplay segments are so difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, well, essentially, you end up going to the art gallery. Ends up being another dungeon. Mm-hmm. Pretty, you know, all the dungeons are kind of ho hum, samey. Yeah. But this one introduces my least favorite enemy in the entire game. It's so annoying. It's uh, it's like a female zombie monster thing that climbs out of an air duct, and then it, it's hanging. It hangs from the ceiling, and then it every if you shoot it a couple times, it'll like jump to either wall or to the floor. Right. And it takes entirely too long to kill this thing. Yeah. And usually when they introduce one, they'll introduce several in a row in a hallway. Yeah. And it super sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It's one thing about this game that I think overall is a bit of a bummer if you sort of break it down into its component parts, uh, which I mean, we're we're okay to do because this show's about survival horror, <laughs> which yeah. is that all the parts of this game that are like explicitly survival horror are not super fun. True. Yeah, it's 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 just like a bunch of like almost shooting gallery styled RE4. Yeah. But it it just seems like overtly like arcadey. Like it feels like some like bootleg Sega Saturn shit or something. Yeah, cuz well cuz all the enemies are super slow and killing them rewards you with like agent honor points so you're like shooting stuff and the game is going cha-ching and they're like yeah it definitely has a shooting gallery feel to it yeah and when when you get a headshot he'll make these like weird quips (laughs) so like sometimes you'll hear like a bunch of like weird quips over and over again if you get several headshots in a row yeah it's all very bizarre and stupid. Yeah, it's like it's kind of amazing in the context of the whole game where it's like, why is this happening now? But yeah, yeah, in terms of it being a survival horror game, it's not like a great survival horror game, which I'm saying mm-hmm. out of the side of my mouth because, you know, it's sort of <laughs> uncomfortable to think about. But I think like in those enemies that you're talking about, they look kind of cool. But then, yeah, they're just like, ugh. What the hell? Yeah. Super annoying. This, this game isn't survival horror. This game is like a KFC bowl. Like you just throw like all this shit in there and mix it up and eat it. <laughs> right. But you know, there's some survival horror in that KFC bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the corn. Yeah. It's a garbage plate basically. Uh, yeah. 
which some people don't know what that is, but it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, mm-hmm. Google it. I've heard of the mythical garbage plate. Yeah, it's just it's exactly what you think it is. Um, <laughs> it's good, though. Just like this game. I like it. <laughs> In short, um, I mean, you, you go into the art gallery, you go around stuff that kind of sucks, and you end up back at the entrance to the art gallery at the big sculpture that's sort of like the centerpiece of it. Right. And um, Diane's kind of dying. Yeah, so she's strung up as well. Not in the mm-hmm. same way that Becky was, but in a sort of similar way. And Yeah, so this sculpture is like a like a big pointy red tree. Right. With uh I guess it's made out of metal or something, but it's got like these big spiky um branches. Right. And she's suspended like right above it, so it's like she's gonna get impaled. Exactly. And so George starts trying to strongman push the <laughs> the statue out of the way because she's like strung up and she's gonna fall onto it. Yeah. And so there's this whole bizarre scene of like George trying to push the statue while York runs up to save Diane. And yeah, and he like dives thirty feet into the air trying to catch her. So what ends up happening, yeah, is he dives and catches her and then has George catch them as they fall yeah. and like cushion their fall. Uh-huh. And it seems like they've saved Diane. Except Run. she then stands up and <laughs> she's had her tongue cut out because she's like all the other murder victims, except she's not uh-huh. dead yet. And she basically just goes on this weird monologue about the statue that she was suspended above. Right. She's kind of giving a, 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 a critical analysis of it in front of everyone, like yeah. as a performance or something. Yeah. Well, her tongue is cut out and she's like spitting blood everywhere and she's talking like that. Yeah. So there's like, there's subtitles for the whole game, but there's like serious subtitles for this part. Cause it's like, dude, yeah. you can't understand what she's saying. The weird thing about it is that her reading of the sculpture is that it's about how women would love to be penetrated by it. Yeah. And it's phallic. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. And then it falls on her and she dies. (laughs) The end. The end. Yeah. That's the end of the episode, everyone. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean. It's such a weird scene. Like, do you laugh out loud because she's, like, doing a Philly voice? Or, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, she's spitting blood everywhere and, like, everybody's just, like, standing there watching her. Yeah. So weird. It's so fucking weird. Um. But so after that, uh, they find Kaysen locked in like a basement (laughs) dungeon. Yeah. Kaysen's dog comes and gets you and lures you to like a trap door in a room. Yeah. Where Kaysen Kaysen is locked in the basement. Yeah. And it turns out that he was having like an affair, I guess with Diane because he's separated. They have like an open relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And he's separated from his wife, but he even says, he's like, I don't want my wife's lawyer to find out. It's like weird, but so he's still sketchy, but he's explaining his sketchiness as like this whole thing with his marriage dissolving. Um, it's, it's a weird detail. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to us. What's the developer called assembly games? 
Oh, Access Games. Shout out to Access Games for giving a rotund dude some game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> FK gets in the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so after this whole event, uh, George basically asks you to come have a drink with him so he can have a heart to heart with you. Yeah. Which is weird, and this whole next scene is weird because you literally just yes. watched this lady die. You've watched two women die in two days in really gruesome ways, and uh-huh. you're just chilling at a bar. <laughs> yeah, and like Carol, Thomas's sister, is like singing this like horrible jazzy song. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it doesn't sound like anything like Julie Cruz, and it's super disappointing. Okay, so here's the thing is that. <laughs> This song is so specific, but it's definitely something that, like, I kind of love in a weird way, which is, like, this whole era of, like, Japanese games or, like, TV shows or whatever, having, like, singers sing these, like, English jazz songs in this weird, overdramatic style. (laughs) Like, it's so, so, so strange, but, like, uh, Rule of Rose also has a song that sounds just like this with these, like, weird, like, kind of garbled English lyrics and this bizarre singing style. And I just love it because, yes, it doesn't sound like Julie Cruz at all, but it also is so bizarre that it fits with the whole thing that you've been experiencing up until this point. But I wonder if that's, like, an extension of, like, the whole fly me to the moon Evangelion. Yes! It totally is. Although yeah. that one is, like, better than the original because um, it's, like, a fucking chill bossa nova song. Everybody's, uh, like, super butthurt that that's taken out of the Netflix adaptation. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they be? Like, I don't. I honestly don't give a shit. I think, I I think shit. the new end credit song is better than Fly Me to the Moon. Hot take. Dude, Megumi Haishibara fucking singing Fly <laughs> Me to the Moon. Well, shout out, Megumi. <laughs> Come on, man. That shit's a classic, bro. I get that yeah. shit stuck in my head all the time, and it's definitely not Frank Sinatra singing it, because fuck Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank Sinatra you know is something that white people though. only like because their parents played it at Christmas. <laughs> you know what would be dope, though, is like going to a, like an Italian restaurant and then doing the Megumi version. <laughs> <laughs> like, playing on the CD player. Hell yeah, dude. Love it. Hell yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that song is incredible and also just like really bad. <laughs> um, but so, basically, while Carol is performing this weird jazz tune, uh, George is telling you about his childhood uh, yeah, in which he was severely, severely abused physically and mentally by his mother. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has scars all over his body. Like he was whipped with a tree, which is why he has all the uh, scars on his back. She would step yeah. on his face with heels, which is why he has those scars on his face. Yeah. Like it's gnarly. It's a a really weird scene. Yeah. In the middle. I mean, like, we're talking about Deadly Premonition, and, like, you're going to throw this heavy shit on me? What? Like, yeah. It's it's really bizarre. Like, why is George telling York all this? Yeah. No, 100%. And it just keeps getting weirder the longer it goes on. And it introduces one thing that the game will just lean into really hard, nearly the end which is taking themes and ideas from twin peaks and just putting them 
in this game. Uh, like themes like yeah. child abuse and sort of uh, rep- uh, repetitive cycles of abuse. And the thing about that is <laughs> I'm not going to say that Twin Peaks did it well, because in in hindsight, mm. Twin Peaks maybe didn't like it's super heavy shit and it's it's up for debate. Like, I'm not going to say I that feel like I, it's hit or miss with certain things. No, for sure. Because something like fire walk with me is probably less problematic than something like Audrey being like drugged in Binhorn's brothel and almost raped by her dad. Yeah. Like that was pretty bad, which is like the second time that theme has been introduced in the show at that point. Like, yeah, which is like, okay, like what? Um, fire walk with me is just a legitimate horror movie. And it just like reveals like how horrible that shit is, you know? Right. I don't think it's exploitative or anything. Sure. But it's the show. It's up for debate. Like a lot of the stuff is it's varies. It's questionable for sure. And people still debate it to this day where it's like, did it handle this? Well, did it not handle this? Well, you know, and in well, and the reality of things is that like when like passion crimes happen, like almost all of like the majority of victims are women. You know what I mean? Right. So when this horrible shit does happen, it does end up happening to women. Right. But the thing about Twin Peaks also is that Twin Peaks had a big just a juxtaposition between this sort of like hellish, horrible underworld and the things that people do to each other and this kind of homey, inviting, uh, mm-hmm. nostalgic view of a small town, right? Mm-hmm. This game doesn't have any of the homey, nostalgic, warm, fuzzy shit. So... <laughs> the more well, the of, illusion gets pulled away really fast, like immediately, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like, there's never yeah. any really well established idea of Greenvale as like this sort of homey small town. Everyone seems weird mm-hmm. and off putting immediately. And so the yeah, more the of population's the, shrinking all the time, they can't keep young people there. Right. It's like the yeah. more of this stuff that they introduce, the more just like dark and depraved the whole thing starts to feel. Cause you're like, yeah, it, they they turn up that like you know Twin Peaks is a normal you know an idyllic town with like a dirty underbelly, but like the dirty underbelly comes out like so fast you know yeah exactly it's like it's a terrible place that's even more terrible yeah and so some of these some of these scenes just feel really weird and dark and almost out of place just because it's like whoa like how much more are you gonna pile on the answer is well, a it's lot it's gonna get darker and darker yeah, yeah. the answer is a lot so. You know, saddle up, cowboy. <laughs> yeah, um, good stuff. So another weird turn that this whole scene takes is that Emily shows up and she's dressed for a date with York, and apparently York invited her to their heart to heart on a date, and then uh, awkward. Yeah, and then Emily and York have a fucking date. <laughs> um, so the big takeaway here from this date is that eventually they end up back at York's hotel where they don't have sex. Um, Mm -hmm. and no, she shows up later at his hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Drunk, drunk. And instead of, uh, doing anything inappropriate, uh, they basically decide to have another heart to heart because York is apparently just addicted to heart to hearts and he just can't go a minute without having one. And, 
what we learn from this is the way that his parents died, um, mm-hmm. which is that his dad was, we've seen flashes of this, like in his sort of memory vision hole that he keeps going to with like the child version of himself. And so we sort of know some of this, but we actually get it explained to us, which is that his dad was also an FBI agent and he killed his mom and then committed suicide. Uh, Right. And he said to York a quote, which keeps recurring in the game before this Mm -hmm. and a lot after us, which is that at times we must purge things from this world because they should not exist, even if it means losing something you love. And so that becomes like a big theme in the game from here on out. And that quote keeps getting repeated a lot. I don't know what else to say about that because we're going to talk about that a lot later. But Leather babies crying in a sex dungeon. <laughs> yeah, so the actual end of this day, like when York goes <laughs> to sleep, is we get a little montage and York remembers in detail, well, some detail, the death of his parents. Mm-hmm. And then we also see leather babies crying in a sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> and it pans over to reveal a... Uh, leather leotard that's on a mannequin which we sort of presume to belong to Diane because she just died yeah. and they're crying right. um, something, something fucking weird's going on there's a sex cult it maybe involves the killer it probably involves Diane weird scene yeah, this might be the first time you find out that uh, York's mom looks just like Emily too yeah they start to introduce that theme i think you don't see her eyes yet but it's yeah you just see it from like the mouth down to the chin but you can like totally tell yeah so there's some connection there and the game starts hinting at yeah Um, so the next day york gets up and has some coffee and does some more uh coffee prognosticating and Mm -hmm. decides that an ad in the paper is telling him to hurry to harry (laughs) (laughs) uh it's really weird every morning in this game is great like something cool always happens in the morning yeah it's like him and polly shooting the shit yeah uh so he also refers to harry who was previously referred to as the mysterious capitalist as the problematic rich boy uh (laughs) which i really enjoyed um after that we find out a few different things. Number one is that nobody can find Thomas, uh, which is kind of right. a, a low-level emergency, but York doesn't seem to be worried about it. He's like, okay, Emily, you can go look for Thomas. I'm going to go find... Um, I'm going to go find Harry and talk to Harry. Uh, we also get a couple of other short scenes. We talk to Kaysen again, and it seems like as like naive and kind of slow as Kaysen seems that York doesn't mm-hmm. totally trust him. Yeah, he knows more than he's le- leading on. Yeah, like, every time York talks to Kaysen, there's an adversarial tone that's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, we also have a scene with George, uh, and York keeps commenting that George is acting weird, but his uh, explanation of it is that George is losing his confidence. Um, because people keep dying, which makes sense, but it is interesting that York has this kind of running narrative about what he thinks about George and how, like, the king has been deposed and all this kind of shit. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing, but... Anyway, uh, we go to see Harry in his mansion, and we have to solve some weird puzzles and stuff. (laughs) 
Of uh, course. Yeah, his mansion is like a puzzle room, basically. And uh, when we finally get to Harry, he tells York that he knows something, but he makes him find the source of the red seeds and gives him a clue. So, mm-hmm. of course, we have to go drive to find them. Uh, yeah. And you you may have already figured it out if you're just playing the game and driving around. Because uh, I found this out super early on. Uh, at the graveyard, there's a bunch of red trees. So, like, I knew exactly where to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, he the game tells you where to go as well. So yeah. you go to the graveyard. You chill for a little bit with a goth big boy, Brian. <laughs> Is, he's, he's a great character. One yeah. of my favorite miners. He's like the chillest character in the game, but he's like seven feet tall and wearing white face paint. <laughs> I, I feel like he should play bass in the Rockabilly Dudes band. Yeah, totally. He's a total bass player personality. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get the seeds and you go back to Harry and... Harry is starts giving you details, but he's very guarded. He reiterates the raincoat killer legend, but claims mm-hmm. that it was real and covered up by the military. And it's basically what George told you that back in the day, there was someone in a red raincoat who would kill people when it rained. Um, yeah. And he says that there's a legend that is fueling modern copycats to do the same thing. The legend being that if you kill someone after eating the seeds you'll gain immortality right and he says that he'll give you more info and tell you what happened if you go find the files on the original raincoat killer incident from the 50s so basically harry sucks and he keeps sending you on fetch quests (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah and of course the the files you need are nestled in the basement of the police station. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's another shitty dungeon. Yeah, of course. What else? Of course. Uh, so you go through the dungeon and you find that the killer has just removed the files that you're looking for and thrown them in some water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, and York finds out where it is by asking Emily to get him a cup of coffee and then looking at the coffee cup, which tells him to go to Velvet Falls. Yes. Where you go and fish for the fucking missing documents. Tibet. (laughs) Yeah. So what's funny is that this is... Thomas, can you give me some rocks? (laughs) Yeah. So this is a total Dale Cooper thing. And there's a famous scene early on in season one where, yeah, he talks about Tibet and he throws rocks at cans. But like (laughs) in this game, it's like they just crank it up to 10 so this is like Mm -hmm. york's only investigative technique right (laughs) indeed like there are some other scenes that are taken straight from twin peaks like when he's interviewing the townspeople after the town hall and he's like how long have you been in love with her you know like that's a line from twin peaks but this one is like a really obtuse one where it's like they just keep doing the tibet scene over and over and over and, <laughs> and I, I, I would say that confidently at this part of the game, you start to realize that York might not be a very good detective. <laughs> he may actually be the worst detective of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting as a contrast to Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks presents Cooper as he's very eccentric, uh-huh. but he's very capable where that he can get the job done, but he's also really weird and has all these crazy ideas. He also repeatedly fails 
And those three elements are supposed to all sort of be put into contrast. Like we're given this great hero who's kind of weird and offbeat, who we want to see succeed, but then he just keeps failing over and over and over. And it's like a theme of the show that you keep watching this character fail and it kind of gives the show part of its atmosphere, right? Sure. The same thing happens in Deadly Premonition, except we're more and more led to believe that York isn't actually capable or good at his job. (laughs) <laughs> and like he doesn't really seem like he gives a shit like he seems no. like he's just like having fun yeah like he's just this weird depraved loser kind of <laughs> and so the <laughs> fact that he keeps entering a fail state and like not being able to crack the case is it's almost like it's his fault <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i love it yeah so anyway uh you now have to play a fishing mini game, which is too bad for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really awful. Yeah, and it's uh, I had zero joy playing the fishing mini game, and it won't let you quit. No, like you have to do the fishing until you get the thing. Yeah, and you can't quit it until you get it. And it's <sighs> every fishing mini game in every game ever is horrible, and this is no fucking exception and it's funny because i've done this throughout so many different games like everything from link's awakening to ocarina of time yeah Yeah. to near automata to fucking i don't know what's next what's the next terrible fishing mini game it wasn't that bad in ocarina though like yeah if you knew what you were doing you could just get it and get it out of the way no this is like a slot machine yeah it's fucking bullshit that's like what the one in near uh automata is where it's just like you're trying to get this one item you need and you just have to keep doing it over and over and you can hear the gears grinding in the game trying to decide if you get it and it's like oh my god it's so stupid (laughs) um yeah so basically you find these files and the files actually corroborate the legend shared by harry or and that is at least Mm -hmm. believed by these killers that you can kill people use their using the red seeds and gain immortality the twist, however, is that these files are written in Thomas's handwriting. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Uh-oh. And so York rushes back to Harry's. It's like another sort of dungeon, but he's like totally tripping the fuck out. Like, I don't know if he like licked the documents and they had acid on him or something. <laughs> but like he sees a couple of weird visions. Like he sees a painting of all the murder victims and Emily. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and yeah. he also has a vision of his parents with his mom who looks exactly like Emily. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it's weird. It's a really cool scene. Yeah. Like, it's dope. But it's like really weird. Yeah. Like you're, you're sort of, you're also, you're just thinking about like what's weird and what's not as you're playing this game. And this is a big one where it's like, what is weird <laughs> and what is not weird? <laughs> I'm lost. But Eventually, he reaches uh, Harry's secret lab, which is like some sort of InfoWars fever dream. <laughs> he has like a hundred monitors displaying live feeds from the FBI and stuff. Yes, it's just like that guy from Yakuza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so when you talk to Harry, he starts describing his experience with the original case in the mm-hmm. 50s. Uh, when he was a young man and what had happened back then was that he snuck into a clock tower that was being built 
and he saw some soldiers pumping purple gas that he assumed was made from the red seeds into the air. Um, right. Once this gas was released, it made all the townspeople turn into psychotic murderers. And there was one in particular <laughs> who was like the alpha murderer who was <laughs> a man in a red raincoat who then uh-huh. attacked Harry. And during the attack, Harry saw that it was his own dad. Uh, which, wow. Yeah. Freaked him the heck out, if you will. So he's knocked out by his dad, but not killed. He somehow survives. But both of his parents are now dead. A lot of the town is now dead. And the military <laughs> comes in and covers up the whole in, uh, incident. Yeah. The fallout from this, uh, metaphorically and literally, is that the townspeople are scarred and they start saying, like, never go out in the rain because that all happened when it was raining. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it also turns out that that gas has seeped into the soil and it's reactivated when it rains. So whenever it Uh rains in the town, crazy people gas comes out and makes people murder each other. Um, Now, in the ongoing theme of are the dungeon otherworld sections real or is York just fucking crazy? This kind of I don't know how to interpret this because I was immediately like, oh, that explains the dungeons. You're in. I think York's fucking crazy. Right. But the game does write in this sort of explanation for maybe them being real. It's yeah, it's weird. I mean, they kind of undercut this with a bunch of other elements, but they at least give you one explanation for this maybe being real. I just want him to be crazy. <laughs> well, you can have it, man, because <laughs> I, I not know. much of a stretch. Yeah, it's not a stretch anyway. So now the gang is looking for Thomas and uh, York is back on the case after having his diversion into hanging with Harry and. Uh, York is eventually led into the bar where Thomas works that's owned by his sister, Carol. Um, Mm -hmm. Initially by, like, a ghostly vision of Anna? Yeah, Uh, which, uh, in terms of gameplay, is like a real bullshit gameplay piece. (laughs) Yeah, but it's also confusing because right after Anna appears, you then have another raincoat killer encounter, and he basically chases you into the bar where you have to close the door to get away from him Mm -hmm. uh and then you are in another dungeon oh boy but clearing this dungeon leads you to a dungeon that's important to the story the sex (laughs) dungeon yes finally we get some sex dungeon in this game so what he finds there is what we saw in that montage earlier with the leather babies crying uh which is that (laughs) Diane's leather leotard and Diane's pendant. And so Mm. he's suddenly formulating some theories, but before he can really wrap everything up, he gets knocked out by Thomas, who is dressed as his sister, Carol. Yes. Thomas is in drag and he's loving it too. Yeah. He slow dances alone. Yeah. Because this is Twin Peaks. This is not his first time cross-dressing. No, this is something he likes to do. Yeah, side note, another problematic theme that Twin Peaks likes likes to play with a little bit was uh, the concept of cross-dressing, which is now not really a concept anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, more on that later. Anyway, uh, York is knocked out. We don't know what's going on. And Mm -hmm. while he is 
asleep. He has a vision that now clearly establishes that his mom looked exactly like Emily. Why? Uh, yeah, so my two notes on this, which I'm just going to read to the audience, are number one, <laughs> weird plot point, man. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Why? Yep. And another one, York is the most unreliable fucking narrator of all <laughs> time. So, like, once again, the game is playing with you. Like, it's asking you whether or not you think that the story is real or it's fake. If York is making the stuff, if he's disassociating and just having a delusion the whole game, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if some of this is real and some of it is not. But, like, the fact that we've been seeing flashbacks to his mother and father's death, but then, like, just now are getting this piece of the puzzle that Emily looks exactly like his mom. It's like, dude, come the fuck on. I mean, like, everybody has mommy and daddy issues in this game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, take, you know, take that for what it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this, like, to me, firmly established. That I was like, okay, yep, York is an unreliable narrator to a degree that I've, like, never, ever seen before. Mm-hmm. This is like Kaiser Soze levels of unreliable narrator bullshit. This does lead to a really cool scene and maybe one of my favorite scenes in the game where York is tied up to a chair by himself, uh, blindfolded, and you can, like, sort of see through the blindfold. Right. But he just has, like, several monologues just talking to himself. And it'll cut back between that and a scene of Emily and Kaysen running around town trying to find York. Yeah, so this is... Which is stupid. (laughs) Yeah, so the whole setup for the beginning of the next day is what you just described. It's York York getting self-reflexive while tied up in the sex dungeon. And yeah, uh, yeah, Emily looking for York with Kaysen. My note on this is Kaysen is super fucking annoying and his folksy act is grating as all balls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and so, like, w- Emily and Kaysen are running around town, and they're, like, kind of, like, just, like, doing visual novel, like, bonding bullshit or something. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's so weird, and he'll just be like, oh, Emily, I meant to tell you. And it's like, oh, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, while York is tied up, yeah, we get a lot of character development for him, which is kind of cool. He talks about his parents he talks about being into emily talks about all this stuff and you do get mm-hmm. to learn a lot more about him as a character which is cool yeah uh back in the emily and Kaysen scenes which i'm just gonna gloss over because they're so awful and they go on for and there's so a lot of them oh, it yeah goes on for so long uh Basically, they're just following Kaysen's dog around and trying to like track york um uh, so they finally get to a place uh, which is the clock tower that was mentioned mm-hmm. earlier as like the, the beginning of this whole saga. And right. when Emily enters a clock tower, she enters an otherworld dungeon and sees the zombies, which is a huge right. reveal to me. Cause it's like, yeah. Whoa. She, she's like the only other person besides him that sees this. Like, is this like, what's going on? Right. And, So that kind of threw me, but probably not as much as getting through this section and to the boss, which is Thomas, 
who yes. is still dressed as his sister, Carol, and <laughs> kind of in a bizarre, sad, jealous rage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Basically, Thomas reveals that the killer really loves Emily, and so Thomas hates Emily and says stuff right. like, quote, die, you skanky swine, end quote. <laughs> Um, so funny it's so weird and off-putting uh but it is it's it's just like the most bizarre shit you've ever seen in a video game yeah and so he's like twirling around with a gun like on these like gears like all the gears make it look like super mario 64 yeah and there's just like this dude like with like a pistol like twirling around and shooting at you and calling you a skank yeah and throwing (laughs) stuff at you that you have to quick time event your way out of it's so weird. Yeah. So there's a boss fight with Thomas. It's real bad. All the boss fights in this game are real bad. Um, <laughs> there's only three, and Thomas is the first one. Um, but holy hell, they're really bad. Uh, oh, yeah. They really are. It's like your normal combat thing where you're over the shoulder shooting at them with whatever your weapon of choice, but... You also have to dodge stuff with quick time events, and it's really bad. Um, they yeah, actually toned no it thanks. down in the director's cut. It used to be really? harder. Yeah, it used to be harder. God. Yep. But my favorite part about this is that after you defeat Thomas, uh, he, <laughs> he's been shot and wounded by you, presumably. But the way that he actually dies is that he like accidentally stabs himself. Yes, it's like the most over-the-top gory shit ever. Yeah, he actually... He falls, and he impales his fucking face on a giant hook. Yeah, like a hook goes through his face, but then for the rest of the game, Emily keeps... He's just hanging there? Well, he's hanging there, but Emily keeps saying, I shot him? Like, she's the one who killed him? (laughs) But it's like... So weird. Dude, I watched that scene. You didn't kill him. His face was impaled. Yeah, it's so weird. And if you look at an image of his death, it's it's physiologically impossible to have your face impaled this <laughs> severely. Yeah, it's so fucking <laughs> weird, dude. Um, but after that, Cason's uh, dog is a very good boy and rescues York. Uh, mm-hmm. He leads Cason and Emily there. And... York kind of surveys the landscape and sees what has happened, and it, but you know, corrects Emily. He mansplains to Emily that uh, <laughs> Thomas isn't actually the killer. She's like, "Oh, it's right. over. I killed Thomas. I shot him." Quote unquote. Which once yeah. again, Emily, calm down. Uh, <laughs> I think the hook had something to do with it, but uh. He explains that Thomas isn't the killer. He was just a pawn, and he, he has alibis for all the murders. He was just working for the killer. The killer is the only person who has no alibis and access to the files. George. Love George. G himself. Yeah. Daddy. Who, who would have thought it was daddy? It's daddy. <laughs> now, this is another side note here, is that once again, you're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. You're trying to figure out when York is being an unreliable narrator and when he's being a detective. And yeah. 
right here he's like okay george is a killer which the game has been signposting the whole time and you're you're you know prone to believe but we're also now asked to believe that people having alibis actually matters even though before every <laughs> murder like york asked everyone else to stand outside while he went in alone and then experienced some sort of acid trip of like killing zombies right yeah what <laughs> what is going on <laughs> He asked everyone to take their shirts off, too. It's like, God. Yeah. Why'd you make me take my shirt off? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which also, if you replay the game and watch that scene, knowing that George is a killer, you can clearly see the, like, scarring pattern <laughs> that yeah the kill it's just framed by this like leather vest with a cutout that he wears but you can clearly see it there and it's his like daddy vest his daddy vest it's really yeah. funny um so yeah you're now shocked completely and utterly shocked <laughs> and uh so they go back to the station to confront george uh however they find carol thomas's sister and mm -hmm. she's nearly dead. She's clearly had an encounter with the raincoat killer. She's had her tongue cut out. Um, and she reiterates what Thomas was, was saying, which is that George was in love with Emily. George right. just wanted Emily. Everyone was a proxy uh, for Emily. It's all for you, Damien, etc. Yeah. Um Shoves a bunch of red stuff in Emily's mouth. Right. And so Carol dies, and now Emily has had a bunch of seeds shoved in her mouth. She's dazed and sick and fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, York has Kaysen take Emily to the hospital. Uh, well, York decides to go finish the fight, if you will. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the Zero Brightness podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah. And shit's about to get weird. Yeah. So we have another raincoat killer chase. We hit some QTEs. You know, yeah. like whatever. Um, it's really grating at this point. You're yeah. just like waiting for all. Every time you get to a dungeon, you're just waiting for the dungeon to be over. Yeah, exactly. And so finally, York gets to confront George, who is now in full on ghoul mode. Uh, it's like yeah yeah and it, there's a battle on the rooftop of the police department right and so he's like total like 80s cartoon villain yeah like he's wearing his S&M gear that we've seen in visions but his skin is also gray and he looks like yeah. shit like if the game didn't jump any sharks before this point this is like the ultimate like megalodon shark jump right 
And they also decide to go full 80s cartoon by having, like, some really great uh, dialogue back and forth of, like, you're a loser. No, you're a loser. And Mm -hmm. George has some choice lines about how the powerful always overcome the weak. It's all his mother's fault and that she showed him the way to be. Um, He also was really horny for deer. He describes a deer in very sexual ways that... uh, (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, it's really weird. My only note on that was just, oops, I guess he's horny for deer. Um, (laughs) Also, he goes Super Saiyan. Yeah, so you fight his first form, and then he decides to go Super Saiyan. And, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything bigger bigger than a Megalodon? (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, but he does look like a big roided out troll doll at this point. He looks like a mix between troll doll and Blanca from street fighter. Yeah. With like big glowing Goku hair. Yeah. It's literally the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like the Thomas thing was cool. Cause it's like creepy and like, you know, like edgy, but this is just like straight stupid. Yeah. It's really dumb. And it's got that sort of silent hill last boss vibe. Where it's like the game just jumps the shark and makes you fight a boss for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It, it, it's one, it's way too long. It's, Get, it's very slow. You can correct me, but I think there's three phases. Yeah. And I are. felt like the last phase took fucking forever. Well, this is a really slow fight um, because you're you're always waiting to get behind George and he moves really slow. Yeah, and you also move pretty slow, but it's like very frustrating because you're just continually trying to get behind him. Ugh, it's very, very slow. Like, why'd I have to come to this? Sheriff Truman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after you beat him, uh, you beat him and then York collapses and has a vision so yes Uh, another infamous scene from this game yeah so you have a vision of all the women thanking and congratulating him and (laughs) another side point here that i'll return to later is that like this game kind of stealthily introduces the concept that there's a red room and Mm -hmm. a white room that are supposed to sort of parallel the black lodge and the white lodge from twin peaks But the thing about the Black Lodge and the White Lodge is that they're confusing, but the show eventually explains them. And there's a whole metaphysics based around these two places. Um, In this game, it's never really fully dealt with. Yeah, it's kind of like assumed that it's his uh, dreams. Yeah, but then if you also take the game at face value, which it keeps sort of asking you to, you're like what the hell is all this shit? Uh, But (laughs) more more on that later. But yeah, so he has this vision of all the women thanking and congratulating him. That's like really weird. Uh, And he wakes up in the hospital Mm -hmm. to find that Emily was never admitted to the hospital, which starts to freak him out. He's like, I have a bad feeling. I've got to go figure out what happened here. Um, God damn it, Kaysen. Yeah, so Kaysen has left him a map to George's house, which he he follows and is kind of greeted by a pretty 
grim scene. Um, it's an empty shack, which is not very cool. <laughs> and he finds two yeah. things in there. One is a shrine to Emily, like a bunch of photos. Uh-huh. And the other is his mother's corpse. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a straight it's pretty out of, creepy. Straight out of psycho. It's got some like trees growing through it and stuff. It's a uh, it's pretty grisly. Yeah, so she was clearly killed with the red seeds. Yeah. And she has this red tree growing out of her, but this is the moment that York decides to realize that hey, that's the same tree that Kason literally carries around with him all of the time. Like, Jesus Christ, like, come on. Like, the giant tree sculpture, all the red tree shit going around, and you're not going to, like, take this fat guy with the fucking red tree seriously? Come yeah, on. this is, like, <laughs> this is, this is, like, point number one, piece of evidence number one for York being the worst detective of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Isn't this game called The Red Seed Case in Japan? Yeah. <laughs> he could have just read the box. <laughs> exactly. Come on, dude. It's your game. Right. Metal Gear Solid. Just look at the back. Yeah. Yeah. You got to stop Metal Gear. <laughs> uh, so he also realizes that the reversed peace mark, quote unquote, that he's been following this whole game is not a reverse peace mark. It's a tree. And what, he has what a novel idea. Yeah. So all this symbolism. Yeah. What could it mean? <laughs> yeah. So old boy is dumb as hell and has his like <laughs> super uninspiring usual suspects. Kaiser Soze moment where he's like FK in the coffee, the red tree. Oh my God. It's Kaysen. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and the uh, unassuming farmer guy is the killer. <laughs> yeah. So he rushes off to find Emily and Kaysen. We also get a second totally uncontextualized flashback to the 50s. And mm -hmm. we see that Kaysen <laughs> is the one that released the gas. And he hasn't aged. He hasn't aged. Uh, so the legend you know, is Being true. obese is like really good for aging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I read that on WebMD. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like that gas that he released still poisons the town. And then we get a flash to the modern age and everyone is going nuts. All the townspeople are going crazy from. Mm -hmm. Is this the part where you get where you're playing as the Rinko killer? Not nearly as fun as it sounds. You just run around and kill people with an axe and then run around a bunch of red fences. <laughs> yeah, the second flashback is playable and it's really weird. And it's basically all there to show you that Kaysen is the one who released the gas. So yeah. literally everything is Kaysen's fault. Thanks, Kaysen. Thanks, Kaysen. <laughs> and so, yeah, you go to the theater to confront him. And yeah. yeah you it's sad. Yeah, you see some townspeople that are crazy and there's some other stuff, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that you've got to stop Kaysen. Oh, well, you don't want to talk about the zombified rockabilly guy? No, we have to back up a little bit. Screech, <laughs> screech the brakes here. Before you run in, like, all of the townspeople are crazed, right? Right. And, like, the little twins run up to you like, oh, save me, save me. But then yeah. they start biting you. Yeah. And then, like, the entire cast of characters is in front of you, all zombified, like, eviled out. Right. And they're, like, posing, like, like TV bad guys or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
And there's the fucking e- evil rockabilly dude just snapping away. Yeah. Trying to eat you. Okay, okay, you can keep going now. <laughs> yeah, I guess I skipped that scene because it's, like, so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, like... Yep. It's so at odds with the tone of what's about to happen. Yeah. That it just really threw me. Where it's like, what? What is going on? I mean, there's still some main characters to kill. Yeah. Let's go. So, okay, this also is where I'm going to drop, like, the fucking content warning of the century. The rest of the game really, really poorly handles a whole lot of people being sexually assaulted. And there's a whole bunch of that. It's like Twin Peaks on steroids. Um, It's bad. And yeah. It's really creepy. You got to know that going into it. Um, Yeah. It's not good. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. So... Basically, York runs into the theater to confront Kasim. He finds him, and he also finds Emily drugged, sitting in a chair. Uh huh. And her like shirts open. Yeah. And there's like blood. Right, and she her bottom half is like covered with a blanket, but it's pretty clear that if there hadn't been like content restrictions around video games, that she would probably just be like naked in the chair. Right. Um. And I don't even know how to get around to this, but essentially Kaysen reveals that he is the ringleader of everything, which we have already figured out, but also that he's Mm -hmm. the only one who can cultivate the seeds um, and make those trees grow through his victims. Uh huh. And it's suggested that the way he does that is by sexually assaulting them. Yeah. And he suggests this by making gross mouth noises and, like, licking Emily with his tongue, which is gigantic. He licks her face. Yeah. And it's creepy. And And he has, like, a giant, like, reptilian Gene Simmons tongue. Right. And so I'm just going to pause on that because we're going to come back to it in a second because it's really just like, what? But he also implies that York earned the outcome of him having assaulted Emily because he chose his job over love, which is a plot point lifted directly from Twin Peaks. Um, Uh It's basically what Wyndham Earl says to Cooper after he takes Annie. Yeah. Um, Like it's, it's, I think it's safe to say that Wyndham Earl is the worst part of Twin Peaks. Yeah. So like weird lift. Why why are you going to, why are you going to copy the worst part? Yeah. Yeah. So, Then basically Emily stands up and she has the tree already growing out of her stomach. Like there's a whole. It's like rooted. Yeah. And there's a tree growing out of her. Uh, Annie's not okay. Yeah. It's so fucked up. And so she asks York to shoot her and kill her because she's basically about to die. Which triggers a flashback to York's childhood. Yeah. The famous quote. Yeah. Which, so this is a scene that we've seen bits and pieces of in various levels of detail for the whole scene, the whole game, but we're finally shown the whole scene. Right? Mm-hmm. So here we see the death of York's 
parents. Uh, and basically, Kaysen had done the same thing to York's mom that he did to Emily. Uh, he implanted a tree into her and sexually assaulted her to make the tree grow. And then the mom asks York's dad to kill her. And Kaysen is there in the room goading him. And he can't decide what to do. So the mom mm-hmm. dies due to his indecision. And then he mm-hmm. says the famous line to York. At times you have to banish things from this world, et cetera, et cetera. And then shoots himself in the head. And then unlocking this memory also reveals that York's real name is Zack. And the child yes. version of himself that he's seen in these visions is his real self. And that he's been like right. disassociating as York since he was a kid. Yes. But York is his made-up persona, and Zack is his actual self. Pretty interesting. That is an interesting twist. This is the silver lining over this, like, shit ending. (laughs) (laughs) It is a pretty wild-ass twist. Yeah. So, essentially, you finish the game out as Zack. Now you have white hair, your scar is more apparent, and you have two colored eyes. Right. Which is a total toss-up of the whole or whole Laurel Palmer, Maddie Ferguson thing. Right. And similar to those two, your demeanor as Zach is a lot softer. You're much more soft-spoken mm-hmm. and less aggressive. Um, right. Kind of like how Maddie was, like, really shy and retiring. And um, Laura Palmer was very, like, brash and boisterous. Yeah. So you wake up as Zach, and now your hair is white and you're just really sad. After this, you have to make a choice either to shoot Emily or not, because this all happened in your head in like an instant, basically. You have to shoot either Emily, Kaysen, or yourself. And so this is the part of the game where you can get a couple bad endings. Because if you shoot Kaysen or yourself, you get one of the bad endings. But if you shoot Emily, you continue to get the quote-unquote good ending. But it's bad. And Emily and Zach have a moment before she dies where she says something that's kind of interesting also, where she says, I finally got to meet you face to face. And like York kept talking to me and like pulled me out of my like bad mental state or, or uh, sorry, Zach says, I finally got to meet you face to face to Emily. And he says also that York kept talking to me and kept me from like disappearing, which Mm. is like kind of a mind fuck that like, first of all, you haven't been, you've been playing as like, a disassociative personality of the main character, the the entire game (laughs) pretty much. And also that the reason you've been talking to yourself is that you had to keep talking to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is super cool. But, uh, yeah. So Emily dies and it's kind of like sad and upsetting where it's like, it's a bummer. It's a big bummer. Cause she's also been like a capable character for the whole game. Yeah. Like she hasn't just been like a victim and then she ends up as a victim, which is a bummer. But right. An- another mind fuck that happens that I don't like, unlike the previous mind fuck, is that Kaysen gets really pissed and he asks how York got Zach back from the red room. Because mm-hmm. this goes back to what I was talking about before, where it's like, what is real? What is just fantasy? Um you know, like what is going on here? Like, yeah. And if the red room is his dreams, like why does Casey know about his dreams? Yeah. Is it real? Like, we don't know what these plot points are. And I don't know. It kind of made me just go like the, the Jackie Chan, what the fuck meme. 
that was yeah. like my face exactly <laughs> like, yeah. come on dude like give me something but you don't have much time to dwell on that because uh Kaysen morphs into a scooby-doo bad guy yes and he inflates himself and he bounces around the theater kind of like that first boss from yoshi's island <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's a big bad bouncy baby now and yes. uh daddy's gotta put him down he looks like some shit from killer clowns yeah he does he also turns gray but he has goofy hair and yeah oh man it's but so then stupid he goes super saiyan yeah so just like george he has like three phases and you keep killing him but each time he gets bigger it's so weird like the last part of the fight where he's like giant yeah and he's carrying around like a chibi doll of himself Mm-hmm. And you have to shoot the chibi doll to kill him. Yeah. And eventually he realizes that you're killing him, so he puts the chibi doll in his pocket. <laughs> so you have to run up him and, like, shoot the chibi doll in his pocket from his shoulder. Yeah, it's like Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> <laughs> but awful. But really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so stupid and also york is or i mean well now you're zach but york zach is like kind of quipping throughout this too which is really weird so weird dude. <laughs> like and it's just i don't get it so like everyone's dead so everyone you care about is dead everyone you care about is dead you kill Kaysen and all the crazed townspeople return to normal um and everything is fine i guess Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, York, York Zach goes to see Harry, the mysterious capitalist and Harry drops a couple more big twists on you. Some bombs. If you're mm-hmm. ready, if your body's ready, here's some more bombs for you, <laughs> which is that apparently George was Harry's son. And he's estranged from him because Harry didn't make the right choice and shoot his wife. What the fuck is going on? What is going on? Like, it's trying to establish this theme of endless cycles of violence and abuse, but this one is just out of fucking nowhere and makes no sense. And, like, the only backstory and character development we have on Harry is that flashback to him from the 50s and his dad being the original raincoat killer, but... Right. Like... It doesn't make sense, and it also doesn't make sense for there to be a lineage, because it's like Harry, and then George, and then also York's dad, but those three people are not connected in any way. Like... Welcome to Deadly Premonition. Yeah. And we're shown that weird painting that York saw of all the victims that I thought Uh was a hallucination, but it's not. It's real. Nope. It's real. (laughs) Yeah. It's at Harry's house. Yeah. It's at Harry's house, and Harry made it, or had it made. Like, what? Yeah, no big deal. It's just a bunch of girls that are going to die. Yeah. MBD. Also throughout this whole segment, uh, the knockoff Laura Palmer's theme is spammed constantly. Oh, yeah, for sure. You got to really... Oh, Angelo. (laughs) Oh, Angelo. Uh, Yeah. So after those bombs get dropped on you, um, Zach is getting driven away by Harry's assistant, and he stops in the forest... And Mm -hmm. he sees York and Emily and the other murder victims, and he says his goodbyes. Yep. Everything's fine. They're all just children of the forest now. Yeah. 
So Good job, York slash Zach. <laughs> that's the end of the main story, but then if you're playing the director's cut, there's a frame story. Well, uh, you can also kick it around town at this point, too. Yeah, like, you, you can you can poop around if you want to. Like, if any of the townspeople are still alive, you might be able to do a side quest or two. But, yeah, eventually you leave town. You eventually give up on the game. Yeah. And so the end of the frame story happens over the game's credits. Uh, yeah. And it's essentially York's daughter and granddaughter discussing how crazy York is. Because, so, at some point in the game, it's in... Well, in, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. So, early in the game, it's not revealed to you, but maybe around halfway through, it's revealed to you that the frame story is Zach telling his granddaughter the mm-hmm. story of deadly premonition. <laughs> Why are you telling your kid this? Don't tell... Come on, man. This is not appropriate. Um <laughs> Yeah, Absolutely once again, inappropriate. why didn't he look in the box? It's rated M for mature, dude. <laughs> Come on, York slash Zach. It's rated Saro 17, and it's called the Red Sea Diaries. Come on. This was all on the box. This was all on the box, dude. Anyway, so uh, it's revealed that Zach has been calling his granddaughter Emily, but that's not her name. Her name's Louise. He's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole point of the frame story is so sweary can say, hey, maybe it was all bullshit. <laughs> maybe it was all bullshit. I don't like the frame story. It's like they've planted so many seeds. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, of doubt that like <laughs> you don't know what is like, what's a hallucination? What's real? what's questionable like you just have no grasp in reality like i i will say that i liked playing the non-director's cut of this game better Mm. because without the frame story it's sort of there's still all of those elements of doubt but there's a lot less of it like it's a lot more linear in terms of like establishing that york is probably crazy and then revealing that a lot of the stuff that's happening is like real in the game world you know what i mean yeah and i think that the frame story just adds an extra layer of doubt that i think is kind of messy and just makes the game that much crazier yeah in a bad way it's just so random and you know the first few times it happens it it has like nothing to do with the story so yeah, I you know, I wouldn't feel like I missed a lot if it wasn't there. It's just the scenes with him and his daughter and uh yeah, and like the the dialogue over the credits and stuff, which like that was not in the original game and mm. I thought that it made the story better because it just operated on two poles. Like mm. either York is hallucinating and totally nuts or a lot of weird stuff is going on. Right. That's kind of the magic of Twin Peaks, in my opinion, is that, like, there's some element of... Well, there's a lot of elements of what is going on, but pretty early on, you just start assuming that everything you're seeing is real somewhere. Right. Like, somewhere in the story, this giant is a thing that exists. (laughs) It's maybe not a person. It maybe doesn't exist in our same plane of reality, but it's a thing that exists. And... Cooper is seeing it because it's real. Yeah. Like, it's not really suggested that Cooper is so fucking insane that he's come up with all this shit in his head. (laughs) 
Yeah, Diane, uh, we, we assume Diane's a real person. Yeah, and that's even the closest thing to an element that we might assume Cooper is making up. And right. once again, we we quite assume that it's real, and then later when David Lynch shows up for his cameo, it's like, oh, well, someone else knows Diane, so... Right. <laughs> it's, she's real, you know? In this game, it's like two people can see the crazy thing. Emily sees the crazy dungeons, but then you're still like, I don't know... <laughs> Yeah, like, what the hell? Okay, so that's the plot. Wow. Did you get all that? Did you take notes? Phew. That's, uh, yeah, quite the plot. Yeah, so now I think is a good time to play a little game that I like to call What the Fuck is Going On? (laughs) Most importantly, What the Fuck is Going On? So I want to run down a few points, plot points that are also maybe like my own fan theories, and I, I kind of run them by you. See, see what old, uh, <laughs> see what old Woodard thinks of these. Yeah, you know? let's see what happens. So okay, number one, the big weird thing here is that the Red Seed murders have been happening for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all masterminded by Kaysen, if not directly perpetrated by him. Because, like, we know that he has something to do with all of them, even if other people are involved. Mm-hmm. Like, in Greenvale, it was George who led a sex cult with Thomas, Carol, and Diane. Right. But all of them were, like, subservient to Kaysen, essentially. Yeah. Um, but we know that Kaysen was also, like, a traveling tree salesman. Right. So all across the country, he's probably had similar shit going on, which York has been investigating previously. Exactly. So, we, yeah, York has investigated some of these crimes already. Now, the other thing is that the way that he's been able to do this since the 50s without aging is that at least in some canon, whether it's Zach York's made up canon or the actual canon of the game, he has actually gained immortality. <laughs> Right. Through eating the by them. Yes. And however, the people that he's roped into committing the crimes with him uh, haven't benefited from it at all. Well, George does go Super Saiyan. So there's yeah. got to be something around that, right? <laughs> right. So maybe there are other people who can go Super Saiyan, but yeah, I, I don't know if they're immortal like Kaysen is. <laughs> yeah. You know, or was because I guess Zach does you know, blow him up eventually. Yeah. So it's, it's the power of the chibi doll. Uh, it was, you know, the real chibi doll was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> uh, so, and that's one weird plot point. Another weird plot point here is that the zombie filled other world dungeon sections are explained in game as the red seed gas being released by the rain. Uh-huh. Hence why people don't go out when it's raining. But they're inside. Yeah, I, I know. So the gas was released by Kaysen and it continues to reside in the soil. And so it comes out when it rains. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, in these certain places, it affects people who are inside and they turn into zombies. What? Like, yeah. So I don't know. I guess like once again, without the frame story, it seemed a lot more apparent, like in the original version, that this was supposed to be an explanation for those sections of the game. Mm -hmm. Like it just felt like, oh, this is the canon explanation for these parts of the game. Mm -hmm. But with the frame story, it feels more like, I don't know, man, York's fucking crazy. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's you can go either way with it. So the next big plot point is these red and white rooms. Mm-hmm. Like they're positioned as the game's answer to the white and black lodges in Twin Peaks, which are these sort of mystical other realms. Um, the white lodge being sort of this heavenly place that we only get little flashes of. And the black lodge being this really dark hellish purgatory that we get actually see quite a bit of. Right. Um, but in this game, the red and white rooms aren't really explained. They seem mostly like hallucinations that Yark is having or some sort of weird device he's created in his mind to cope with trauma. Yeah, um, but they also give him clues to the case. Right. They're not so deadly premonitions. <laughs> yeah, and we see Harry in there for some reason. True. Harry and the twins both make cameos in the red and white rooms. Right. So we see three not dead people in there. And yeah. we also know that Kaysen knew about this place, even though we don't see him in there. So it's confusing. The one thing that the frame story might explain relating to this is that it almost makes it feel like a fairy tale invention by York so that he could tell this story to a kid. Mm -hmm. There's a sort of dark reading of it. You could do whereby this was actually a normal case and he decided to try and make it this kind of moralist fairy tale. So he could tell it to a kid. Interesting. Uh, That was one, like when I played it with the frame story that kind of jumped out at me that I was like, Oh, maybe that's why it's this year. Cause otherwise it just doesn't work. Well, everyone in the red and white rooms are all linked by the red seeds. Uh, so they're either dead people that were like killed by the Ranko killer or they're, you know, directly related to the case somehow. And, you know, the the red room, the red and white rooms are essentially just like the circle of sycamore trees in Twin Peaks, where it's just like a circle of trees with red leaves. And, you know, the, the ground is coated with red leaves. Right. But here's one thing that I thought of. Well, preparing for this episode, too, is that in Twin Peaks, for as wacky dacky as all the shit gets, um, the those places are presented as entrances to the Black Lodge. Mm -hmm. And there's very specific. So there's the one that you just described is like the specific entrance to the Black Lodge. But in season three, the return, there's also another one that they sort of. Uh, position as another entrance to the Black Lodge. So it's like, it's this mythical other plane, but there are physical entrances to it in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of cool. It keeps it really grounded and it makes you feel like there are rules, which is one thing that's really cool about Twin Peaks for as crazy as it gets, there's always a lot of rules. That's the Mark Frost to the David Lynch, right? Exactly. And so like even in the return, like the stuff about tulpas and body doubles and all this shit where it's Mm -hmm. like, this is insane, but it's like, oh no, you know what? This actually makes these elements of the story really grounded because they have to follow the rules. You know? Yeah, the, the thing I liked the most out of Twin Peaks to Return was the the nuclear bomb testing with it, it all linked into real life with Jack Parsons and Aleister Crowley and all that weird sex magic shit. That was really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. The, I, I fully agree with you there. Which I think is, is sort of, you know, like, interest, interestingly enough, like, you know, like, Deadly Premonition did some of that kind of shit, right? Yeah. In, like, but a really it, fucked up way. 
Yeah, to, for this specific plot point, I would actually say Deadly Premonition did the exact opposite, which is where they made the red and white room so abstract and so, like, mm. out there that you really get no sense of where they are in the universe, right? Right. Because, like, York just gets hit on the head or goes to sleep and he wakes up in this place. It's like he can dream and go there. So it's like, well, maybe it's just a dream. And it made it less impactful to me because it made you want to write off more of the story either as a fantasy or a dream. I think one of the powerful things about Twin Peaks is that it gives you so many grounding aspects and so many rules that you have to take these things as real. And it makes mm-hmm. the show weirder because you're like, holy shit, this show yeah. is so fucking weird because this is like the reality of this show. Yeah. You know, I think it's a weakness in Deadly Premonition. Yeah. The next point I have on here is sort of in agreement with what you said, which is that the Deadly Premonition feels like a writer, in this case, Swery, attempting to recontextualize Twin Peaks so that you could tell the story in a single sitting, right? Like in one singular work of art, you could tell the entire story of Twin Peaks and everything would be connected and be a little bit more sensible. So the concrete plot points are way more connected. Like this isn't just a case that York's been investigating. It actually involves his own past and why he is the way he is. And the various people in town aren't just connected by this sort of like generic underworld. They're all like very deeply embedded in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And to that point, it makes it all feel more dark and gritty in, in a lot of ways. And that's what Twin Peaks The Return really did a lot. And in that way, this game feels like very prescient. Like it sort of predicted what season three of Twin Peaks was going to be like. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit before we recorded this. And right. uh, we kind of both came to the same conclusion separately. Yeah. Because I think it's unavoidable. I mean, like the thing about the season three of Twin Peaks that's really striking is that it's set in the modern day. It's very dark and gritty. It has a lot more realistic elements along with all the wacky fantasy stuff yeah <laughs> there's a lot of wacky yeah but it's not like it's not cartoony and slapsticky like the old ones were and even the moments that are light kind of feel weird and dark and degraded in a way that the original show didn't i don't know there's that whole green glove thing yeah th- <laughs> what's that that's hard to unpack i mean yeah but it's like the thing that stuck out to me was like some of the only scenes that were really like those kind of coming home type scenes were with like Andy, you know, with like deputy (laughs) Andy and like those scenes were disturbing. Like they were almost demented instead of just seeming like slow witted, you know, like the ones where like Andy and Lucy are trying to pick out a chair to buy. Yeah. (laughs) Something really off putting about those scenes. Yeah. That's almost like the center sandwich scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. I mean, this game takes out all of those sort of homey elements. It takes out a lot of the warmth. And so it just feels like really cold and weird. And that's what season three of Twin Peaks feels like. Yeah, very yeah. weird. The other thing that I had a list of <laughs> um, was kind of weird and problematic themes that were carried over from Twin Peaks. Mm. Right. And to preface this, a a segue here is what we were just talking about. I think that 
This game borrows a lot of themes from Twin Peaks, in addition to just plot points and, and general vibe. Um, but the way that it recasts them makes it feel very different. Like, Twin Peaks Season 1 uh, has a really warm, fuzzy vibe. It's like he like Lynch wanted to tell the story of a small town that's darker than it seems. Yeah. In order to do that, he spent some time establishing that the town is kind of small and idyllic. Mm-hmm. This game doesn't do any of that. <laughs> like, your first interaction with the townspeople is negative, and most of your interactions after that are also negative, or at least so weird that you can't be like, oh, I was charmed by... Oh, there's a lot of stuff in the side missions that is, like, minor character building, which is really endearing, I think. And, sure. Uh, I think if you, if you just do the main story, you might get more of that sense. But yeah, there. You know, I mean, the pot lady. Come on, man. <laughs> no, I agree. There are charming side characters for sure, but there's also just a lot of people who are just a lot more harsh. Yeah. Well, all, all the main characters die. So like. Right. But it's like they're also super shady and like weird. It's like everyone who's gonna die in this game acts like super weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's almost like yeah. there's a whole lot of Leo Johnsons in this game. And oh, not, yeah. 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 Not enough Lucys. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the recasting of those themes and in, in, in this new setting makes them feel super, super dark. And the last third of this game is so dark and upsetting, I think. Yeah, it really is. Like, you, lo- you end up losing all hope. Yeah, and the ending is like... A bummer like I think they kind of try to make it this sort of like languid chill ending in a way but I think they just don't achieve that like I was just bummed like yeah you're just walking out of that city broken you know it's well it's like the female character that you thought your your protagonist was gonna end up with ends up like dead with her face getting licked by this like fat monster you know what I mean yeah it's horrifying it's like okay the end it's kind of like the end of seven or something yeah exactly well and i think that the reason that seven is such an influence on a lot of survival horror games um i mean we've talked about seven way too much considering that i never fucking think about that movie and for (laughs) some reason it always comes up on this show like is that classic survival horror had a real shock value to it that a lot of these developers were going for Mm -hmm. and I think that movies like Seven were a big influence on how to achieve that shock value, oh, right? For sure. Yeah. And Deadly Premonition, one of the big classic survival horror elements of it, not just the gameplay in the dungeons and some of the other, you know, points in the game, it's really that it goes for that shock value horror. However, it's in such a different context and it's drawing on so many different themes than an average survival horror game or even an average video game that it comes off a lot different. Mm. And yeah, like I said, the last third of the game is just woof. Like what a total bummer. Bummer. You know, like you're just sad. I felt sad. So some of the themes aforementioned that this game carries over. Number one, women. (laughs) <laughs> well, what's the deal with women? So it's like mean moms and victim daughters or something. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got mommy issues. Yeah. So let me, let me say, let me throw this out there quick. Uh, David Lynch has a thing 
with women, right? <laughs> it's like how Quentin Tarantino has like a thing with black culture where it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't want to say it's a problem or a fixation or some kind of take, but it's mm-hmm. just a thing. And it always makes me feel uncomfortable, basically. (laughs) And I think that having a thing with women is like a pretty standard video game thing. Like Hideo Kojima has a thing with women, right? Sure. Like, I couldn't tell you what it is. One word, quiet. (laughs) Yeah, quiet. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) what was that? You know? But, I mean, in this game, it's like, it's weird because you get like a strong female character. You get some, some female characters who are interesting because they're just very like obtuse and weird. You get Mm -hmm. some very stereotypical female characters, but ultimately it's like, they just keep killing them and they just kill every major female character. And they're just there to die and motivate the main character, which is super classic, like hacky bullshit writing. Yeah. And then your favorite female character dies at the climax. So it's like, fuck, man. And it's also something that David Lynch totally would have done. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think watching the return to season three of Twin Peaks and then going back and watch the old ones, it's that same feeling where it's like there's some really progressive stuff in here and there's some super not progressive stuff where women are like literally objectified within the story where it's like you either Mm -hmm. just become an object for people to look at or you become an object to move the plot forward which are kind of like equally as bad in some cases depending on how it's handled you know well then there's even like the the car wash lady i think that if you were playing video games at this time you were already so used to like just having to ignore like misogyny and like sexism and over sexualization of women like mm-hmm. just to fucking play an rpg or something or a fighting game right but then when it's presented to you in the context of something you're familiar with like the work of an american film and tv director it just becomes a little more stark you know it's weird it's a thing, it's a thing. um i think another problematic theme is like uh, glossing over sexual assault. That's the starkest thing I think that stuck out to me, like revisiting this game. Cause it's like, yeah, that's in twin peaks. Twin peaks has like multiple major characters whose arc revolves around them being sexually assaulted by their father. Uh huh. Like, what is that? That's also a thing. Yeah. And so when they just kind of port that over into this game, it's like, Oh buddies. Yeah. It's, it's no fire walk with me. But it's just like super dark and it really stands out in a game that starts out so lighthearted. Another, you know, maybe somewhat less hot button, but still pretty important thing to mention is that I don't know. I feel like the game is a little bit pedantic about mental illness. Like Hmm. York, York is the kind of guy who would just be like, oh, clearly this person is crazy, you know, (laughs) while while he talks to himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's totally a thing from Twin Peaks, I think. Like, when you go back to Cooper, like, he's just kind of really an annoying, pedantic character sometimes when he's just telling people how they are. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're crazy. Cooper is basically, like, the sexy version of Review Bra. (laughs) Oh, man. Holy shit. Twin Peaks ruined. (laughs) Uh, yes. 
Uh, but no, I agree. And it, it's, it's weird. Once again, like going back to this game in 2019, it's, it's jarring just how, how true that is. Let's see what else is on here, man. I'm just running them down. Uh, <laughs> child abuse and bad parenting. Yeah. Back to the mommy and daddy issues, right? Literally everybody. I think, I think the director of this game needs some help. Well, he's going to try it again. He kickstarted a game called The Good Life that's set in rainy woods, and it's a life sim about solving a murder. So, I'm so excited. Yeah, hopefully it comes out. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool. But yeah, hopefully he's also like gone to therapy or at least done some soul searching. <laughs> One thing that is interesting, like I touched on before, is the theme of never-ending loops and endless cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that was the big main theme of the season three of twin peaks uh is like sort of being caught in a loop or being caught in a cycle that you can never escape from escape from right it's a cool theme and i think it is one thing that this game touches on like york is such a weird protagonist like we were talking about he's not good at his job he constantly fails and by all accounts he's just caught in this never-ending cycle that's bigger than himself Mm -hmm. i think that's an interesting theme in a video game Despite all of this kind of strange and problematic stuff in this game, at the end of the day, I mean, I do think it is like a legit cult classic. I think I said previously that this game is sort of like alchemy. Like, you put a bunch of, like, turds together and somehow it turns into gold. You know, (laughs) this game is that. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, it's... partially too that it's an experience you can't have anywhere else and also that it's an experience that feels like it would never happen today oh yeah no way unless they were doing like uh like a tribute to it some way but yeah this wouldn't i mean how (laughs) how could this happen right and a big thing too for me is that it's that combination of having this giant scope of like a triple a game but then just being so batshit insane that nobody would confuse this with resident evil 4 you know like yeah which is clearly an inspiration on it but nobody would confuse the two yeah this is a i mean just looking at the the year this game came out looking at its contemporaries it's just so batshit insane that it even came out <laughs> like what the hell is going on it's really a miracle this game is a miracle yeah totally and you know the magic of it too is that that was originally what people thought of twin peaks like this sort of very fringy insane director Mm -hmm. gets to make a tv show for abc of all places and makes this really wild cult sort of show that becomes a cultural phenomenon and just becomes Mm -hmm. so popular that it just won't die you know well twin peaks has quite the legacy and it's it's inspired like so many things like not just like tv and film but games and music and everything right 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 Uh, but i don't think deadly premonition has a ton of a legacy it's sort of just like a uh it was like an event that happened, you know, and it didn't spawn any clones or it didn't create any weird subgenres of like 
genius kusoge or anything <laughs> well i think a lot of that has to do with the culture around video games and how preservation is has sadly been neglected for the majority of the history of video games mm. you know like i think in every other art form not only is preservation important to the people who make the games but it's also accessible theoretically to anyone right like People find obscure records all the time and then reissue them on their own little like boutique labels, mm-hmm. right? Because it's yeah. just music. If you get the music and you make it sound okay, like you can release it. With video games, you can't do that if you don't have the source code or, you know, at least some good like wrapped emulated version of it. And yeah. so it's really up to the people who have owned the rights and who made the game to preserve it. And it really just hasn't proven to be important to most companies. <laughs> yes, not. Yeah. It's really sad because it's a shame. Like, sh- yeah, shit like this is why I like video games. Like, yeah. And I would love to see more of it. I mean, we're even running up against that now. I mean, we've barely been doing this show. Like how long have we been doing this show? Like <laughs> a few months. Yeah. Right. And just looking at stuff that we want to cover, we're already hitting walls of like, well, how the fuck do we get a copy of it? I mean, at some point you're going to fucking send me a Wii U in the mail, you know, it's like, (laughs) God damn, you know, the the preservation of video games has not been a priority and it's super sad. Yeah. Boy, I would love for Tecmo to port Fatal Frame 5 to Switch. Yeah, I mean, I would love for every fucking Wii game to be on Switch. Like, the Wii was a great console, actually, and some of its weirder corners were really, really amazing, you know? And the the Wii U had a handful of cool games that are going to be lost because no one cares about the Wii U. Right, but it's also just frustrating because, I mean, even with Deadly Premonition, it's like when it showed up on Steam, a lot of people were excited. And yeah. for years, people have been re-excited by the fact that it's on Steam, but it's not playable. It's not and, playable. And it's a shame because even like, you know, Silent Hill 2, 3, and 4 have ancient PC ports, but they're more playable now than the De- Deadly Premonition is. Yeah, for sure. It just wasn't done remotely right originally incompetently yeah for sure and stuff like that just really bums me out i think deadly premonition is one of those games that i hope eventually gets a re-release a real re-release like is preserved because it's one of those things that people really will cherish and it was kind of part of that at that time that micro genre of like weird japanese auteur shit yeah you know do you think a hd remaster or remake would do well I think so, for sure. Yeah. I mean, think about when this game came out, the reach of the websites that would talk about it and carry stories on it was very, very small. Now it's like if they did an HD re-release and Polygon decided to cover it aggressively, like, Mm. holy shit, you know? Or like, you know, Hardcore Gaming or somebody just decided to be excited about this re-release, like, it would reach a lot of people. And if it was cheap enough, a lot of people would buy it. How could you fix the game, though? See, that's the thing. Like, it would take considerable amount of work to fix it. Unless you just want to make it playable, like a playable port, like a night dive kind of thing. But I think it just needs to be playable because, like, the original was playable. It just at times was sort of unfun. And the director's cut fixes a lot of that. Like, 
one I was looking up the changes like one weird little change for example is that uh, when you fight Thomas in that boss fight there's QTEs where you have to press multiple buttons yeah um, in the director's cut it's two and in the original it was three. Oh wow yeah. and every QTE in the original is faster that's awful I yeah. hate those things <laughs> yeah like what is this fucking Sega CD yeah exactly that shit out of here this is ground yeah. zero Texas <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they rebalanced the hell out of the game. And they put in a lot of stuff to make it more fun. Like, oh, you know, one thing we didn't touch on is that you get a house in the director's cut. Did you find your house? I, I think I went in it once. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm just going to stay at the hotel. You know? Yeah. 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 I really nice. liked having a house, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't touch the house, really. Uh, but, you know, so it's like they rebalanced the game a lot and they made it more playable and i don't think it needs to be any more playable than that like without a a fucking full remake but it just seems to not crash every five minutes and it needs to be able to like not corrupt your save and stuff i would love to see this game have a legacy and like a long life i mean like earlier you know the reason i run down these problematic themes is just to address them and kind of let people know that they're there but ultimately it's just like twin peaks where it's like you're looking back you're seeing the way that things were right. and the way that these things were, were addressed. And you really hope that people see this stuff and see the good and the bad. And when they move forward, they don't just do it again. Sure. I mean, I think that's a problem with mainstream culture in general is that it's so quick to just move on that people don't look back and see like, oh, this was actually terrible. It handled things poorly or like, oh, this was just not good. You know? That's part of moving forward is being able to look back on the stuff and sort of take stock of it. Yeah, you know, I hope more people choose to experience it and get to experience it and find their own way to it. I mean... How do you think people should play this? Well, like I said, I think I said it in the first part, but I truly believe as of right now, the best way to do it is to go to a pawn shop and buy a 360 or a PS3 for whatever 20 bucks and then go online and buy a copy of this game for 20 bucks and play it on there because the thing is one thing that made me very nostalgic about this game is that the first time i watched twin peaks it was not on netflix yet it was not as popular as it is now Mm -hmm. the way i had to watch it was a combination of vhs tapes rented dvds and borrowed bootleg dvds like (laughs) you had to try yeah it was so much time and money and work that like by the time I got to enjoy the thing, it was a much richer experience because I had to try so hard. Now, I'm not saying everything should be like that. That sounds awful to me now because I'm fucking 31. I don't have time for that shit. (laughs) But at the same time, it's like if you want to experience this thing and you're really driven and you put in the effort and you finally get to experience it in its full glory, like there's something really beautiful in that. And so that would be my recommendation. Also, the PC version just doesn't fucking work anymore. So don't even bother. Nope. I mean, unless you really, you really like the meta game of getting something <laughs> broken to work on your PC. It is not fun. It's not fun, no. and there's a lot of replaying parts because the shit crashes. Yeah, and they, yeah, it's not good. Um, no. I thought originally you'd ask me why people should play it, and I was like, dude, there's only one. Deadly premonition, dude. There's only one. There's only one. God damn. God damn. Uh, yeah, game club. Dear Sick. God, no, I, I I feel like I like uh, I I just like finished a hot dog eating contest or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like 
overdosed on deadly premonition right now. <laughs> you just finished a plot point eating competition. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? Uh, Resident Evil HD remaster. Yeah, that's number one. Yeah, what Resident next? Evil HD remaster on the platform of your choice? It's on everything now. It's on everything. Play it on your Commodore 64. Hell yeah, brother. Um, after that, we're doing Silent Hill. One? One? One. So, you can't play that on everything, unfortunately. No, but you'll figure it out. I mean, uh, I'm rocking the PS2. Same. On the CRT. I'm not doing that, but close enough. <laughs> yeah, that, that dithering's gonna kill you, man. Eh, I'll live. <laughs> Killed by dithering. Killed by dithering. My uh, my favorite grindcore band. And then after that, we're doing Fatal Frame, right? Part one? Part one. Yeah, we'll do part one. Sure, why not? I mean, part two is the best one, but let's start at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the, the PS2's dusted off. Why not? Yeah, we're in it. So anyway, if you've been frustrated with us for not doing classic survival horror games, get the fuck ready. We're doing Shut three the in a row. fuck up. <laughs> Strap the fuck in. We're blowing all of this cash, dude. We're doing all the big ones right up front. Get the fuck in this pit. I want to see a circle pit. <laughs> Jump yeah. the fuck up. Exactly. I'm feeling them lighters. 